And, and one thing I probably should have included, Joy, I think it's important to try not to mask those feelings of frustration or loss or being lost or confusion and try to tackle them head on. Like it's almost a sport to be able to get yourself out of the transition as quickly as possible, if that makes sense. Wow. You know, because for me, like I said, I was going out every weekend, you know, partying, trying to cover it up with, with drugs and alcohol during the week, Monday through Friday. Yeah, I might apply to a few jobs a day. But after that, it was all right. Let me binge watch Netflix. Let me reach for a bottle. You know, let me. Let me roll the blunt up. If we're just being real, you know, let me close the, the curtains and just sit here in the dark and binge watch Netflix because I don't want to deal with what I'm feeling right now. To all of the current and former student athletes across the globe, welcome to the Sets for Life podcast. Here at Sets for Life, it is our mission to train, equip, and empower athletes at every level for life after sports. If you have ever struggled to see yourself as more than an athlete and you find it difficult to envision life without playing the sport you love, this is the podcast for you. Here at Sets for Life, we will drop incredible gems that will allow you to transition from student athlete to young professional. We will also have interviews with incredible former athletes who are thriving as they chase their new dreams. Stay tuned as you are in for an incredible journey. Now... To our host, Joy Walker. What's going on, world? Welcome to another edition of the Sets for Life podcast. I'm your host, Joy Walker, but you can call me Coach Jay, and I am excited. We have a phenomenal guest on the show today, and he is doing amazing work with former athletes, and his energy is contagious, so let's just dive right into his bio. Taj Deshaun is a former Division I college football player for Stony Brook University. After playing his last game of football, Taj struggled heavily with depression. He had never fully developed a clear vision for his life after the game. After several years of stumbling around in the dark, Taj began to take his eyes off of himself and focus on serving others. He now runs an intensive program for retired athletes who are struggling to adapt to life after sports. Not only does Taj help retired athletes land jobs and start businesses, he helps them to find fulfillment in every single area of their lives. It's become his personal mission to reach out and help others overcome the fear, frustration, and uncertainty associated with life post-athletics. Taj, welcome to the show. Coach Jay, it's a pleasure to be on here. Like I told you before, I've been a Sets for Life fan, uh, a Joy Walker fan since day one, so I'm excited to be on here and share today. I cannot tell you how much that means. It's just, it's wonderful just to, to tell stories and to hope that they inspire people like you and other people listening. So I have a lot of questions for you because you have, you have this amazing story. So let's dive right into it. So what is the most difficult part about walking away from the sports you love? And how did you feel when you went from being on a team to suddenly being a lone wolf? Mm, that's a good question. So for me, um, I felt like I was completely isolated. And this was, you know, in hindsight, this was something I did to myself because I wasn't in a place where I was able to actually uh, articulate what I was going through or effectively process my emotions. Um, and you know how this goes back to some of the things we've talked about before, Joy, where athletes are used to being on this stage where we're seen as the superheroes and we have such a hard time opening up and talking about what we're going through because we're taught that if you show weakness, you know, that's going to affect how the opponent views you. Right. And so we carry this over into life um, and not to get too deep on you, but this is something we may have talked about also where, and I just put out a video about this, especially as black athletes. You know, a lot of us come from backgrounds where we're, we're kind of brought up in tough households, brought up with tough love, where it's almost like you have to be 
we're taught to be tough so that we can deal with some of the things that the world is going to throw at us. Right. So that was my case. I felt like I didn't open up. I definitely felt like the lone wolf, mainly because I didn't reach out to anybody. Even the former teammates that I was back home with, they were going through the same thing I was. So we were kind of in a place where we couldn't really help each other. And we were just kind of doing things to to uh, kind of mask, you know, going out. It was like an extended college. We all came back home. We all went to different schools and we would just get together on the weekends and drink and go party, and, you know, unemployed, nothing going on, but still just doing that to kind of cover up the pain. And um, I think, you know, that was my experience. I think generally speaking, the most difficult part of walking away from your sport is it's almost and I know this isn't the case for everybody because I know there's a select few people who do go into their transition prepared, know exactly what they want to do, have opportunities set up and just have a smooth transition. But for the vast majority of us, which is why your podcast exists, for the vast majority of us, this is very a very difficult transition. And I think it's because there's no way you can really anticipate what that's actually going to feel like. You can conceptualize it like, OK, you know, I'm, here I am six months out from graduation. Like, OK, I'm, I'm not going to be a football player anymore. So I can conceptualize it. But once it doesn't really get real until it gets real, you know, so uh, that's that's the way I would sum it up. There's something you can't really you can't really uh, anticipate. You got to you kind of got to be in the middle of it to understand what that process is like. I need to apologize to listeners because I didn't tell them to buckle up. So we got off off to a quick start. And and you said what so many of us feel. We feel completely isolated. We are so accustomed to being these superheroes on stage. And coach tells you, you know, never let your opponent see you sweat. And then you combine that with a lot of African-American athletes who grow up with this tough love because our parents are, quote, unquote, trying to prepare us for what the world is going to throw at us. But then you also brought up another key that is, you can talk to somebody until they are blue in the face about you got to prepare, you got to prepare. Somebody who's still in undergrad, somebody who's still in it. But like you said, there's no way to anticipate how it's really, really going to feel. And and I'm, I'm really, really curious for my next question. What sort of dreams or expectations did you have for your college career? And how did your college career turn out? Yeah, so for me, I had a bit of, you know, I always say I got humbled by life. Because I was I was a pretty cocky dude in high school, um, just in the sense of my ability and, and how I was uh, with the whole recruiting process, right? So um, I was pretty pretty highly recruited. I got a lot of playing time my sophomore year in high school, and I started to get you know a lot of attention from coaches pretty early on. Um, going into my junior year, the most you know important recruiting year, I blew my knee out, so missed the majority of that. Um, I remember just being in the car on the way to the hospital after uh, after the game knew my knee was toast. You know, I'm on the way to the hospital. My mom's driving me and I was just breaking down crying because I knew that this was going to throw everything off track. Right. So my expectations kind of changed in that moment where it's like, I know that those offer or, you know, the attention I was getting wasn't necessarily going to be there moving forward because I kind of had to make up a lot of that my senior year and kind of get back into the speed of playing. Um, So my expectations, you know, once I went to Stony Brook, which is, you know, a smaller D1 AA program, I knew that my chances were slim to none. Um, But at that point, my expectations was I was going to go in there and be the man. You know, this is what I mean by I was a little bit cocky back then. I was thinking I was going to go in there and be, you know, a big fish in a small pond. And that attitude really didn't serve me well. I think it rubbed a lot of I always got along with my teammates, you know, but I think it rubbed a lot of the coaches well. Uh, it rubbed a lot of the coaches wrong because I wasn't accustomed to um, just being another number. I was used to, you know, coaches, you know, showing favoritism and, and pouring into me. And I, 
truthfully, I wasn't equipped for that environment. You know what I mean? I'm a California dude. I grew up here all my life. So here I am in New York and coaches are yelling and screaming in my face and telling me to get off the field when I mess up on an assignment rather than than helping me out. So I really struggled with that. Um, I had a bad attitude. You know, there was a lot of coaching change. I had four different DB coaches while I was there. Wow. So, you know, I can blame it on injuries. I can blame it on my attitude. I could blame it on, you know, politics or coaching changes. But at the end of the day, I just wasn't the best man for the job when you sum it all up. That's just the fact of the matter. So I could, you know, I used to try to, I used to be bitter about it and try to make all kinds of excuses, but that's, that's just what's so, you know what I mean? I wasn't the best man for the job. So I didn't have a great career at Stony Brook. Um, so that was another disappointment. It was a disappointment of going to a smaller school and then not even having a great career there, which was a huge challenge for me, which I know a lot of athletes deal with, you know, because we think once we get a scholarship, we got it made, but <laughs> there's a lot of athletes, you know, there's only, uh, you know, 11 players on the field at one time. So there's this whole other dudes on the roster who you don't really hear from who might go their whole career without touching the field or might just be a special teams kind of player like I was. So that was tough to deal with. And then on, on kind of a deeper level outside of athletics, my college career, I, you know, I think I've heard you talk about this in several episodes where you think that I'm the first person in my family to go to college. So I'm looking at it like this is my opportunity to change the trajectory of my family's history like I'm going to create a legacy like I'm going to be a college grad um and call it you know being naive or whatever coming out graduating in 2013 uh I I didn't realize that a bachelor's degree doesn't necessarily hold so much weight especially since I didn't know what I wanted to do um and my major you know I got I got a quote-unquote uh basket weaving major (laughs) which (laughs) which I kind of allowed them to put me into and that's we could say that for a whole nother podcast right (laughs) wow okay right (laughs) Yeah, we we don't even have to go in on that one right now. We can spend an hour on that just alone, you know. That's a title of a book, a, a podcast, basket weaving, and I'm so glad that <laughs> you were so transparent, Taj. I think that I think that's necessary because yes, a very small percentage of high school athletes go on to play Division One and earn a scholarship, but not everybody is a superstar. When you when you get to college, everybody was the best in their region, in their hometown, at their high school. And sometimes you just you, you, you talked about, you know, thinking about being a big fish in a small pond and just thinking that you were going to dominate. And sometimes that happens. So how can athletes move on if their college career didn't turn out the way they envisioned and they never make it to the pros? How can they deal with that disappointment and process it in a healthy way? All right. I think. And it's easier said than done, obviously, which is why it's so important to not isolate yourself and reach out to other people, especially this community that's developing around life after sports. You know, these are people you want to reach out to to help you with this type of thing. But my answer to that is is to help you move on. You got to reestablish your identity as soon as possible. You have to. You have to. Because like we talked about, it's, you know, it's almost impossible. I don't want to use the word impossible, but it's pretty damn hard to figure out what you want to do afterwards while you're still in that bubble, while you're still living breathing and eating your sport 24 seven is tough to do that. So once you're out, I look at it as, okay, you have nothing but time. There's no more practice. There's no more class. There's no more film. You have nothing but time from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. You should be thinking about what the rest of your life looks like. Something I encourage is writing it out, you know, not necessarily typing it or, uh, you know, you can keep a Google doc if you want to, that way you can go back in there and edit and work on it. But I encourage writing by hand. I just think it's so much more personal to take out a sheet of paper and write, Whatever the date is now, you know, I think it's late September. So late September, five years from now or 10 years from now, late September 2024, where do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? 
not necessarily what do you want to be doing from a job perspective, but what does your day-to-day look like? You know, uh, I like to use the example of you could say, okay, I want to be a lawyer. You know, that sounds great, but what is a what is the day-to-day of a lawyer actually look like? What do you have to do to get there? Is that something you're willing to ride out? You know, don't just get attached to a title or what's on your business card, but figure out what you want to do with your life. Before you even do that, before, and this is something I'm big on too, in terms of reestablishing your identity, I think it's important to make sure you're taking good care of yourself because something I run into is a lot of former athletes I'm, I'm dealing with, they're out of shape and they feel bad. And that's not helping the cause. If you're, if you're unemployed, you don't know what you want to do with your life and you got fat because nobody's blowing the whistle for you at 6 a.m. anymore, that's a problem. That's something we got to address because that's affecting how you feel about yourself. That's affecting how, you know, how sharp you are, how quick your mind is working and how you're moving about your day. So, yeah, I, I think those are really important things to take care of yourself and actually spend a lot of time whether it's reaching out to people or just time on your own, figuring out what it is that you want to do with your life. Taj, after this episode, you're going to get me into a lot of trouble. I'm, I can see the DMs and the emails now. I already <laughs> I already didn't warn listeners to buckle up before we got started. And then I should have warned them, like, don't listen to this while you're driving or while you're on the treadmill. Like, listen to this while you're sitting on the couch or you're walking oh, through the goodness. park. And you can take notes. I want to. I want to try to recap. You you dropped like eight gems. I want to touch on at least two of them, right? Okay. You have to. You have to have a sense of urgency when it comes to reestablishing your identity. Like, don't don't overlook that. For so long, you have been this superstar athlete, and people might not even ask you know how are your grades. They're like, how was your game on Friday night? Like, how many points did you score? How much did you win by? That's what. Pe- that's not just how you see yourself. That's how everyone else sees you. And once you no longer have that as your primary identity, you have to figure out how to reestablish that. And and what else am I going to be known for? Like, what am I going to dedicate the rest of my life to? And Mm -hmm. you talked about all this extra time that you're going to have. And something that I am also a firm believer in is writing things down by hand. Yep. It it leaves an impression on your mind. And I'm doing it right now. Like Every time I do an interview, I'm taking notes by hand. I review my notes, whether it's goals I have for this quarter or next year. There is so much power in writing things down by hand. And you touched on, I said two, but I got three, I lied. The third thing, <laughs> taking care of yourself. I, and when you said that, I literally went back in my mind to 2013 when I got my first corporate job and that I hated I was working these hours. I, I went from traveling, playing ball, doing that, to sitting in the cubicle for 40, 50 hours a week. And I put on 40 pounds. So mm-hmm. on top of hating my job, missing basketball, I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. I don't like the way I look in the mirror. Like there were, there's so many layers to this transition that we don't talk about, that we don't think about. But every single part of it plays a huge role in how successful we are, successful we are once the ball stops bouncing or once that final whistle blows. Right. Absolutely. I, uh, I see it a lot more with, and I can't speak on it personally, you know, I'm a man obviously, but I see it a lot more with the female athletes I'm working with because there's a body image thing attached to it where they feel like they're not as attractive. Right. So not only other, you know, and that's a tough thing to deal with. Um, and there's just so much, it's all connected. I look at it as, you know, if, if you're out of shape, then a lot of things are probably, probably out of a line in your life, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all that. And, And one thing I probably should have included joy, I think, it's important to try not to mask those feelings of frustration or loss or being lost or confusion and try to tackle them head on. Like it's almost a sport to be able to get yourself out of the transition as quickly as possible. If that makes sense, you know, because for me, 
like I said, I was going out every weekend, you know, partying, trying to cover it up with, with drugs and alcohol. During the week, Monday through Friday, yeah, I might apply to a few jobs a day. But after that, it was, all right, let me binge watch Netflix. Let me reach for a bottle. You know, let me uh, let me roll the blunt up. If we're just being real, you know, let me close the, the curtains and just sit here in the dark and binge watch Netflix because I don't want to deal with what I'm feeling right now. And that's that's the wrong approach. If I would have just got up, worked out, you know, and, and started tackling some goals, I would have been in a much better place. And uh, real quick, can I drop a little? I just want to bring some value to the listeners Go on a quick it. exercise that Go I really like. Something that these negative thoughts come in of I'm a failure or, you know, if you didn't make it to the next level, like, what am I going to do now? Who am I now? I'm a failure. I'm a loser. All these things that we think when we're going through our transition. And, you know, I I'm really big on meditation. I, I can't remember her name, but you had a great guest on here who was talking about meditation. Um, Leah, a few weeks. ago. Leah. Yeah. That's right. That was an amazing episode. So anybody listening, go back and listen to that one. Now, that's it's it's I think it's really important to incorporate a, a meditation practice into your life. But something that I teach, which is sort of a meditation, is to think of your think of your mind as a, a watchtower or a control tower, like at the airport, you know, they have the control tower that watches the airplanes come in and out and learn to observe your thoughts that way. You know, so right now you're listening to me talk, that's an airplane coming in, you're thinking about, you know, you might have you know, whatever you got planned for the rest of the evening, thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, what you got to do for work tomorrow, all that stuff, all these things are coming in. But we get to choose what thoughts we pay attention to. So if I catch a thought coming in that says, you know, I'm a failure because I didn't make it to the NFL, I can observe that and I can choose what to do with it. I can listen to it or I can replace it with a better thought. And a better thought would be, man, I got my education paid for. If I figured out everything else in my life this far, my mindset, my my athlete mindset is going to enable me to be able to figure out anything else I want to do in life. So I call it the watchtower. That's something I like to teach to people so they can learn how to look at their own thoughts from a third person perspective. You know, you need if you listen to this podcast, you need to implement that practice immediately. I can again, I can go back to when I was on the couch in the dark, blinds closed just for hours, just trying to figure out, you know, who I was and what was next and just isolating myself and going through that depression. And so many of us go through it, but nobody is talking about it. So if, if that's you right now, it's nothing to be ashamed of. There are so many athletes who have been there. And if you, you take these exercises and you take these, these notes and these nuggets that Taj is dropping, you can, work your, you can work yourself out of this position. I promise that you can. And I want to backtrack a little bit in your story. Um, and you talked about, you know, not really being prepared for life after sport. But how do you think that or do you think that being a first generation college student played a part in your struggle? Absolutely. Yeah. I think just like anything else, if you've never really seen it modeled before, it's just kind of something you have an idea of what it's supposed to look like and you don't really have any facts to deal with. So my mindset was, okay, here I am with this bachelor's degree. And it was a communications degree, which, you know, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's not what I wanted. And I wanted a business degree and some of the classes I wanted to take, I was told were interfering with my schedule. You know how that whole thing goes with the practice schedule. So, um, uh, they put me into a communications degree, right? And uh, I would have stood up for myself back then if I had, I, I don't know, if I could go back in time, I would have stood up for myself and just not allowed that to happen. But I was just happy to be there, happy to be getting my education paid for. So I just went with it as a naive, you know, 19-year-old. I hadn't seen it modeled, so I didn't know what to expect. I had a cousin, his name's Kevin Ross. Shout out my cousin, Big Kev. He played safety at uh, Cal Berkeley. 
but he was he's like five or six years older than me and we were tight growing up but obviously once he went he went away to college you know and I'm in high school we kind of lost touch and by the time he graduated and came back home and was going through his transition here I am going off to college in New York right so I didn't even get to see what he was going through I just assumed you know he was he was set you know what I mean he was set for life shout out to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was set. you know what I mean so um for me it was I thought I was just going to come out I thought somebody was just going to be waiting on me with the job. I thought by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, I'll be making six figures just off the fact that I was an athlete and I had a degree, a bachelor's degree at that, you know. So, yeah, completely unprepared. So how did that initial job search turn out for you? Oh, my goodness. It was it was a nightmare. I already touched on some of the things that I experienced. But um, so for me, I knew I kind of knew that I didn't necessarily want want a typical job. And the reason for that is I saw my parents and this is no knock against my folks because they worked very hard to give my brother and I a great life. Right. And, you know, uh, they built a great life for us at the same time, both of them came home drained, exhausted, complaining, unfulfilled, hating what they did day to day. So seeing that growing up, although, you know, they were successful, I knew that I didn't want that for myself because I looked at what it was doing to them. So for me, and I think this is common amongst, you know, young black folks, too. We think we can only run, you know, run, jump, sing or dance. <laughs> so Talk there's another it. podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to be in the music industry because I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to do what my parents did. I want to I want to have a fun, creative, entertaining career um, around. I was in college. I used to make beats. You know, a few of my a few of my roommates and I, we would, you know, I mess around on Fruity Loops and, and Pro Tools and Logic and all that. And we would make beats as a joke, like more so funny stuff funny uh, songs and we were playing them in the locker room but I'm like man if I could get good at this I could be like the next Pharrell or something you know what I mean so that was what I was thinking I was running away from a corporate job so to speak I wanted to make beats I was working in the music industry for a while I did some internships and uh, I was kidding myself because I'm like I really want to make beats but here I am doing you know these internships at these music companies and I built relationships but it's like if I'm gonna go all in on this I got to get a real job to pay the bills I can't be doing internships so that I can come home after work and make my music. So I started, I started getting a, a big boy job, so to speak. I got a sales job with Xerox, uh, came home and, uh, I realized I had a moment where I was like, all right, this is draining you too much to make the music. And you got to be all in on this type of thing, right? If you want to be in the music industry and make beats and make music, you got to treat it like a sport. You know what I mean? There's no way you could have worked nine to five and had a successful, uh, basketball career in college. You know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. So I'm like this, I had a real, man in the mirror moment where it's like this isn't something I'm willing to couch surf or you know struggle or bet my financial future on with me being successful in the music industry and I never wanted to become something where it's like you know I have to make a good song in order for me or my family to eat I didn't want that so I'm like all right this is a hobby this is not something you really want to do so um the initial job search once I was trying to get a quote-unquote real job was tough because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I couldn't even get the jobs that I didn't want. I was just applying for anything and everything, just trying to get some money in my pocket, you know, just trying to get out of my mom and dad's house again so I could feel independent. But yeah, that's that's how it was for me. It was it was really tough to start with. And I know that you kept climbing in your career and, and you talked about, you know, going from the music industry to internships to Xerox and sales and some other things. But how does it feel to have that quote unquote success yet still feel miserable? That was that was really tough. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, I, once I kind of found my way, I went from the music industry to sales, uh, which obviously is a great foundation for anything you want to do. Just getting out of your shell, learning to talk to people, 
it was it was tough because I realized that I wanted to work with people, and I left sales, got into recruiting, uh, which was great, and then I I got a job offer from the Art Institute in Hollywood where I was working with young creative students. I was helping them land jobs in LA, you know, music producers. It was just cool. I got to work with a bunch of young, they love me. I love them. It was a great environment. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people with their lives. And the more I stuck with that, the more successful I became. So here I am, you know, going on 25, 26, I'm getting job offer, job offers left and right. Cause I'm putting up all these numbers as far as placement and, and stuff like that. I got recruited for a position in San Diego County where I was working with low-income families, helping them find jobs, helping them find affordable housing. I love that, too. That was the most fulfilling work I ever had. But then some some management changes came in, and it was like it just became a numbers game where I wasn't able to work with people, and it was just numbers, numbers, numbers. You know, you got to – even to the point where they were, you know, wanted me to place people in roles that they didn't – that weren't necessarily going to help them because I've always been big picture. Like, I want to help somebody long term. We're talking about breaking generational – um, you know, poverty and helping these people improve their lives for their families. And I wanted to stick with that. So anyway, to sum it up, I started having more success the more I stuck with this path of working with people, helping people, um, which ultimately led me here. But to answer your question about, you know, to have that success and still be miserable, I was unfulfilled because it started just becoming a job again. You know, this was, I would get somewhere, get really good at it, and then feel like, man, I could be doing more here, but I'm so limited by whatever structure is here that I can't help people the way I really want to. Um, and it really sucked, you know, cause I was, I was making good money. I was down in San Diego, had a nice spot, you know, the whole thing, my, my family, my parents would come visit and I kind of just had to put on this facade. Like, I guess I'm supposed to be happy. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, money's good and I got a good job and it, it was just tough. Cause, and I felt guilty almost where it's like, what is, is there something wrong with me? Because I have everything. I'm doing all the right things, but I'm still not fulfilled on that deeper level. And I almost felt like um, I should have been. So I felt guilty, like I was ungrateful or something. But honestly, it's just like I was getting closer to being on my purpose, but I hadn't fully arrived to being on my purpose until I started working with athletes because I'm loving what I'm doing now, you know. And. I, I'm loving this interview because you're literally speaking to athletes at every single phase of the transition. Students who are still in college can relate. Those who just finished, you know, who are struggling to figure out what's next and find a job, they can relate. And those who have jobs that, let's just say it, suck, they can relate <laughs> also. And I, I really love when you said, you know, I, I guess I'm supposed to be happy. And I know that once I finally... I guess figured out what I thought I wanted to do. I told my family, my friends, everyone, hey, I got this accounting degree and then I got my master's in accounting and I had taken the LSAT. And I'm like, everybody, I'm going to be a CPA and a tax attorney. And I had talked about working in, a, in an accounting firm for a couple of years before I finally got, got an offer from a really, really nice firm back at home. So I finally got the job at the accounting firm. It's one of the most well, I'm working for one of the most well-respected CPAs in my hometown. Everybody's like, oh, Joy, you know, it took her a while, but, you know, she's figured it out. She's killing it. And then I come home one day and I'm like, yeah, I'm quitting this job. I'm taking a <laughs> job that's going to cut my salary in half and I'm going to move into a dorm with 18 to 19-year-old kids to coach basketball. Yep. And it's just, life is just this journey. And we really, really go through these different stages trying to figure out what's next and your journey has been incredible but how did you become an athlete career coach and what sort of services do you provide to athletes honestly joy just like you i just did it 
I just left. That job I was talking about in San Diego, around this time, because I was, you know, kind of living the life, at least from the outside looking in, so to speak, even though I was unfulfilled, um, a lot of people started reaching out to me, whether it was, you know, teammates from New York who would come out and visit or, you know, other parts of the country who would come out and visit and hang out with me. You know, or guys I grew up with playing ball who all went on to play D1, even younger guys, you know, or people who it was weird. Like this thing started to happen where I found myself almost every weekend or like a few days throughout the week after work being on phone calls, whether it's like, hey, can you talk to my cousin? He just graduated from, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's having a hard time right now. Can you just give him a little advice about what he should do or, or help him out? And I'm like, I'm, I'm loving this. So I'm loving this more than my job. And I feel like it's kind of it was kind of like a natural, smooth uh, step for me to step into. Cause I had also been wanting my own business. And I I'd also been I, up to that point, I had been sort of looking for my purpose, my kind of blueprint or my game plan, so to speak, where it's like, what am I here on this earth for? What do I really want to be doing? Um, cause I felt like if I could find that, I could apply that athletic mindset to it and just take off with it, whatever it was. But it was frustrating. Cause even though I was having career success, I never was able to find that. So around that time, I was like, I'm just going to go full speed with this. And I kind of did the same thing you did, except, uh, yeah, I took a huge, I didn't, I didn't jump into a job. So it's not, not that I even took a pay cut or like, I just completely quit. I just left. Everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, Hey, you got to do something. I moved back in with my folks. They were gracious enough to let me move back in with them while I was trying to get all this going and get established and, you know, get a little bit of a reputation, but I just did it. I developed I started thinking about how, what I needed, right? I kind of went back in time to think about what I needed during that time in my transition. And I put together some curriculum. So to answer your question about the services, um, it's, I do eight weeks. I feel like that's kind of the sweet spot. You know, uh, that's another, wow, that was, that was an accident. Shout out to the sweet spot. Go get that <laughs> book for Joy Walker. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose right now. It that's fits. Crazy. It just fits. Hey. It just fits. Yeah, that's how you know you got a good title right there, you know? Um, anyway, great book, everybody go check out the sweet spot. You probably already read it if you listen to this podcast, but so I do eight weeks. Um, and it's really, it encompasses everything that you and I have talked about so far. It's getting former athletes to a place where they can function mentally, uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally. You know, when I was developing the curriculum, I consulted with a lot of clinical psychologists, people who specialize in athletic identity. You know, they're still on my team today. We still have regular meetings and phone calls, so I can, I'm constantly improving what I'm doing um, because that's the first piece. We have to get these former athletes to a place where they can even feel good about themselves again and get excited about their future. And so once that's established, the probably like the middle part, the, the climax of the program is helping them discover exactly what it is that they want to do for the rest of their lives. You know, not just for the next paycheck. I'm more than happy to help someone get a job if they need to pay bills right away. I understand that, but we're talking big picture. So I might help someone get a job, but we're still working on the back end to figure out what do you really want to do long-term? You know, what kind of career do you really want? Or do you want to start a business? Right. And then once they have a clear picture of what they want to do, we're spending the last, I'd say two to three weeks of the eight weeks, networking, connecting, coming up with the action plan. Uh, I'm, I'm working on building this community of former athletes, either people who have already gone through my program or people like yourself. You know what I mean? Like if someone says they want to start a podcast or, you know, they want to, you know, be in an athletic department and do some of the things that you're doing, I'd be like, you need to talk to Joy. <laughs> right. So it, it's kind of like, and now that you and I have connected, that's something that, uh, you know, we can explore in the future because that's how I look at it. It's once they're clear on what they want to do, I'm connecting them with um, people who can be guides to them. I'm humble enough. You know, I'm, 
like I said, I got humbled by life. So I'm not so cocky to think that I'm the end all be all for everybody. You know, I, I can help you figure out what you want to do. That's one of my gifts. You know, I can be clear on that to make sure you're doing something for the right reasons, but I want to make sure I'm connecting you with people who can take you farther than I can, um, based on whatever field you want to get into. And so it's really, even though it's eight weeks, I always make, I'm very intentional about letting people know that it's not eight weeks. Good luck to you. You know, good luck on your journey. See you later. You know, it's eight weeks for us to get through this material so you can get to this place where you know what you want to do. You got the game plan. You're starting to execute on it. And then I look at it as anybody who works with me is pretty much they have my cell phone number. So it's like I'm in your corner for the rest of your life. You can pick you can pick up the phone and text me or call me anytime. And I'm a resource to you. So I'm, I'm just trying to build a community just like you are, you know, just making sure we have other former athletes bringing up other former athletes and acting as mentors. So that's it in a nutshell. There's been a recurring theme on this podcast recently, and I couldn't be more excited about it. And it's information that I wish I had when I was, you know, when the ball stopped bouncing for me. And that is to, you talked about in your evenings, taking calls from friends, from friends of friends. And it, people kept asking the same questions. How did you do this? How did you navigate that? And it's so important, like you said, to go back and think about what you needed. A lot of times we try to, to cover our pain and to hide our pain. And maybe your biggest pain point isn't, you know, this transition. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. There's so many topics that you can, co- that you can cover. But it, it's important to pay attention to what people ask you about. Like, what, what do people see you as an expert in? And explore that. And you also talked about trying to find ways to apply your athletic mindset. So what is one principle that you learned from football that gives you an advantage as you navigate life? That's a good one. I, um, I'd say being fearless, I think, because I played, I played a corner and safety, right? So, you know, corners and safeties are known for getting interceptions and, you know, uh, breaking up passes and covering receivers. But one thing I prided myself on was I wasn't afraid to come up there and make a hit. You know, um, I played linebacker and pop Warner. So, I was used to being close, you know, in the box, coming up, hitting running backs, blitzing the quarterback. Um, so once I got to college or once I got to high school, you know, I played DB and receiver, but I got my, you know, I was getting offers to play defense because I was a hitter too, right? So for me, it was like, I think, I think being fearless is the main thing. And that kind of applies today because I look at it as, like you got to be kind of crazy to play football to begin with, right? <laughs> You're talking about, I mean, let's just be real. Let's I'm just be real. You're talking you about. It. And especially, so I, I'm, ha- I'm proud to be crazy because, you know, to run full speed into another full grown man who's the same size as you or bigger than you, you got, something's got to be off, right? So we're all a little crazy, right? Uh, so to me that I still look at that. I, I take that fearlessness with, with me in everything that I do. Uh, for example, you know, like we talked about, and you got that fearlessness too, because you usually, Hey, I'm, I'm going to like leave this this cushy corporate job, you know, with all this money I'm making and this, all this status I have to go backwards and start, you know, being a coach and living in dorms and all that, because you were just following your purpose. And that takes a lot of courage. That takes you being fearless. So I look at it as the same thing. I'm fearless with going after opportunities. I'm fearless when I'm doing my coaching calls, when I'm on the phone, helping somebody, I'm not afraid to, to make them uncomfortable if that's what they need. Cause I'm not going to let anybody, I'm not going to let anybody kid themselves. You can try to kid yourself, but you're not going to kid me and tell me, this is why you want to you want to do X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? So, um, I look at it that way. I literally throw myself into everything that I do. Like on this, everything that I do, I look at it as I'm coming up to make a hit. Like I'm on this podcast with you. I'm throwing myself 
into this full speed. Like when I get off this call, I want to be able to say I threw myself into it. I left. I, I didn't leave anything unsaid and I, I gave it my all. So definitely uh, for sure, for uh, fearlessness, I'd say. This is like getting everything on this podcast. You're getting nuggets. You're getting a couple laughs. And it's so funny <laughs> that you said that. You you have to. But I love my football players, right? But you got to be crazy. <laughs> you got to be crazy to play football. And I've been to a ton of football games. I was just at a game, a football game last night. And it's one thing to be in the stands and watch the game and see the hits. But it is another thing when you are on the field, when you are on the sidelines, and you see this 6'5", Two, three hundred and pound rent. It's yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, you gotta right. be crazy to do that. But guess what? You also have to be crazy if you want to be successful. There, and exactly. I, I wish I had it. I have a screenshot in my phone of this tweet from P Diddy, and he and obviously crazy successful. And he talks about being successful, being crazy, being willing to bite someone's face off. And a lot of people might look at that like, okay, yeah, he's doing way too much. But no, he isn't. <laughs> he's wildly successful because he's willing to take crazy risks. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. And we can't just apply that to athletics. We have to apply that same mindset to life. Exactly. Exactly. And, and speaking of applying, you know, some of those things to life, what are some of the transferable skills that athletes have within their skill set that we often overlook? Mm, that's a good question. I um, I want to I want to be something I'm really big on and I want to be careful about how I'm saying this is that we shouldn't necessarily take our transferable skills because you hear a lot of people say, OK, you're good at uh, time management or I don't know, discipline or, you know, being a hard worker. Right. And I think it kind of get the message can kind of get confused a little bit when you're telling an athlete this, like, hey, you have all these transferable skills and that's going to make you great at this. Right. But I, I think sometimes we need to talk more about using those transferable skills to go stand out somewhere rather than going to fit in. Because it's going to be like, OK, I can be I have great time management skills and I have discipline so I can work hard. And that's that's wonderful. And you're going to be as successful at whatever it is you choose to do. But don't it, it's kind of wasted. If you if you're taking that athletic mindset and applying it to somewhere that you don't really want to be or you don't see yourself long term. And I know you got to try things, you know, taste things. A little bit of trial and error is good sometimes, but it's even better if you have clarity. So I think it's really important to pick the right thing, because once we do, we're unstoppable. You know what I mean? So I look at it like that. I think you have to take that those transferable skills and and, be, and make sure that you are uh, applying it to the right thing. Right. Um, I did a, a call. Shout out to Matt Moynier. I, I know that he was on your podcast yes, and you were on his. Matt, yes. yes, those were some great episodes, by the way. And he's doing these calls, which everybody should go check out. He has these morning calls. It's called Unlocking Your Athlete Mindset. And what he's doing is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you go on there. It's, a, it's all a group of former athletes. It's at 6 a.m. Pacific time, right? So he has it this early because the idea behind it is like, yeah, we got up this early to train and all that. So why not get your day started? you know, connecting and hearing a good message from other former athletes so you can get your day started on the right foot. And uh, last week he had me come in there and talk about confidence. So back to your question, what are some of the transferable skills? Um, I talked a lot about confidence and how we don't have confidence when we're done playing because our confidence is tied to our sport. And the lack of confidence is also tied to our sport. Like any time that we weren't confident is because, you know, if you got dunked on Joy, you weren't feeling confident. Not you know what I mean? Oh, and a couple of guys <laughs> did dunk on me, like, in pickup. That was so rude, but back That's to so you, disrespectful. <laughs> That's so disrespectful. It's just the pickup game. They need to chill out. <laughs> they were mad because I was giving them buckets, but that's another episode. 
Right. I figured that's what it was. That That is a great episode topic right there. Uh, but so the confidence, like if somebody scored a touchdown on me or juke me out my cleats, I wasn't feeling confident in that moment. So that's how we kind of feel when we're done playing sports. It's like you're getting dunked on by life. You know what I mean? Wow. So the transferable skills part is we have to have the confidence that because we weren't always great at our sport. So we have to have that same confidence that we had when we were a freshman. And there's all these older players who are better than us have that same confidence in life that you're going to be able to be great at something once you lock in on what that is and have the confidence to know that if you're chipping away at something, if it's the right thing, you know, have the confidence to know that you'll be able to figure it out and you'll be able to master it just like you mastered your craft on the field or on the court or, you know, wherever you play. So I think that's the main transferable skills, having that confidence to know, even though I'm not good right now, I can still figure it out. A lot of you feel like that right now, but again, it's okay. Somebody like life just threw an alley-oop and just like dunked on you and it <laughs> sucks. And, but another major key, you said, you know, you'll be great once you lock in on the one thing that you were supposed to do. And I don't care how like gifted you were, if you hit the, if you hit the genetic lottery and you're like six, eight and whatever, like when you first started playing your sport, you might have been talented, but it took time to refine your skill set. We play sports for 10, 15 years. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I recommend Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, where he breaks down the 10,000-hour rule. And he uses examples like the Beatles performing eight hours a night, every night, for years before anyone knew who they were. And people talk about them being one of the greatest bands ever, but nobody really talks about the practice and what they did when no one else was looking. And you, and Kobe talked about this recently, maybe about a year or so ago. As mm -hmm. athletes, we get to the top of this athletic mountain and we're champions and we're the best, but when it's over, you have to go back to the bottom of another mountain and climb that one. Like, you have to be okay with being a rookie again. And it's frustrating because we're so used to being sweet. We're so used to being good at our sport, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there and try something else and stick with it long enough to see results. And the now you got me off on a tangent. Yeah, the you're going average, right now. Go ahead, Joy. <laughs> the average podcast fizzles out at episode 17. Mm. Like, do you know how many amazing podcasts should be, I should be able to listen to right now, but the hosts quit? Exactly. And this is yep. this is going to be like episode 82, something like that. I didn't know what I was doing when I first got started. If you go back, I would love for you to go back and listen to those first couple of episodes. They're all trash. I promise uh, you. Hey, I'm going to have to disagree with you okay. on this one because I've, been, I've <laughs> been listening since episode one. Well, you know, when I, I thought they when, were fired. When I yeah, go I back, it. I cringe <laughs> listening to those episodes. But guess what? I'm still working at it. I can still get better. I'm still trying to study and figure out what I can do to improve. I was not. A, I didn't know anything about podcasting when I got started. I didn't know anything about writing a book. I, there's so many things. If you just stick with it, if you, when you were playing your sport, <laughs> Go ahead, when you were playing your sport, did you coach yourself? I don't think so. Like you, I had a coach to walk me through writing a book. I didn't know how to get that thing on Amazon. I didn't know how to do that. That's not my thing. I'm not. I don't write books for a living yet. I don't know. It might happen. We'll see. But it's it's a process, <laughs> and whatever area you go into, put yourself out there and find a coach. Find someone who has done it. Oh man, this is just round one. I already know you're gonna be back for round two, Taj. But before I let you go. What parting piece of advice would you like to share with an athlete who is struggling to figure out what's next? 
Mm, okay. I'm going to go back to what you just said about your podcast, because that was a major key right there about you're on episode 80 something because you kept pushing. And the reason why is because it re- it's something that fulfills you. Right. So the, the parting piece of advice I would give is don't be so quick to try to chase money or, you know, chase the glory, because I look at it as the money comes as a byproduct of, of hard work and, you know, time and effort. And you're not going to put a bunch of time and effort into something that you don't really care about. And a lot of us make that mistake because it's like, oh, man, you're, you're like almost kind of scrambling for something to attach your identity to Ooh. once it's done. And a lot of us get into stuff. I don't want to I don't want to throw any roles out there because I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I might have to just certain like certain Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. But. No, you know what? I talked <laughs> okay. about it when I was on Matt's podcast. Matt is an incredible host, and he pulled some things out of me I hadn't shared. He said, "Well, we were talking, and I was talking about my story, and I admitted the fact that the only reason why I thought I wanted to be a CPA and a tax attorney was because I felt like if I had JD and CPA behind my name, and I was making all this money, it wouldn't matter if I never made it pro." I was, like you said, I was scrambling to find something else to attach my identity to. And I hated working in accounting, but back to you. I I threw accountants under the bus, so accountants, I'm sorry. Okay, (laughs) there you go. And some people, hey, they might love it. But for you, that wasn't your purpose. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And you ultimately ultimately left that because you were doing it for the wrong reasons. Just like me. I I didn't want to be a salesman. I did it because I wanted some money. I don't want to, I worked for Xerox. I didn't, I had no interest and still have no interest in IT services and copy machines. So why was I trying to, and I'm here, I'm wondering why I studied the script. I'm working hard. You know, I'm trying to improve myself. I'm learning the, the products in and out. Why can't I be good at this? Why am I still not good after all this time? Cause I don't care about it. That's what it comes down to. So my parting piece of advice is, um, get on your purpose, find your mission, whatever that looks like. Don't necessarily think it's going to pay you right away. Cause chances are it's not. You know, you have opportunity like Joy and I have opportunities right now coming left and right job offers, you know, whatever the case may be, because we stuck with something at the very beginning. I'm guessing, Joy, after you launched that first episode, a million dollars didn't pop up in your bank account after you launched that first podcast episode. Right. Nope. Just crickets. <laughs> Wait, no <All> right. downloads. <laughs> exactly. And there was crickets where, you know, when I first put myself out there as an athlete career coach crickets, nobody what it first of all, what is that? Nobody had ever really heard of that before. Nobody wanted to work with me because I had no credibility. Uh, you know what I mean? So, but I stuck with it. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't doing it for money. I wasn't doing it for recognition. I was doing it because this is important. I'll do this. I don't care if I have to do this another 10 years and I don't see a dime from it. I'll work a day job and do this because this is something that I really care about. So that's my part of the piece of advice. Get on your purpose. If you're not on your purpose, uh, find someone who can help you or spend a lot of time you know, don't distract yourself. Recreation is overweight, overrated. If you're not if you're not working right now or you're in a job and you're a former athlete that you don't like, like you should spend your weekends. Don't be in the club. Spend your weekends thinking about like what you want to do with your life or start networking with people. Come up with the game plan for yourself so you can put yourself in a better position. This podcast could easily go for three hours, but we're going to wrap <laughs> right here. Tosh, this was this was phenomenal. Please tell listeners where they can find you online and on social media and how they can access your services so the main place to connect with me would be on linkedin i feel like that's if you're not on linkedin right now you got to create a linkedin uh profile like yesterday just because it used to be a place where you go in there and just post your resume or whatever but now it's a place where you know it's a booming social network the opportunities are endless whether you're going into business or looking for a job um i'm on there all the time so taj deshaun 
on LinkedIn. That's Taj, like the Taj Mahal. Deshaun is D-A-S-H-A-U-N. TajDeshaun.com is the website. You can shoot me an email, uh, Taj at TajDeshaun.com. Uh, I just launched a podcast. The, the audio quality is not great, but you already know, Joy. You think that's going to stop me from putting out episodes? Keep going. Let's go. <laughs> so it's called Thrive After Sports. Hopefully one day you're here, you will hear Joy on there on my podcast. I'd love to have you on, Joy. But right now I'm just doing a lot of solo episodes, just kind of speaking my mind on a few things. And then going into 2020, I'm going to start lining up guests, people who are in this space and other former athletes. But, yeah, podcast is Thrive After Sports. Also on Facebook, uh, I have a, a page where I post a lot of videos and interviews with, with people I'm working with. It's just Taj Deshaun, Athlete Career Coach. That's the page on Facebook. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Oh, like I said, this was this was incredible. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the podcast and just drop nugget after nugget for listeners. Joy, thank you so much. This has been great. I really enjoy this. I'm excited to like talking to you. I get fired up for the rest of my day. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share. And congratulations to you for everything you got going on and all the lives you're touching. And I'm looking forward to continuing to, to following you and, and building with you now that we're in touch. Yo, <laughs> you might want to run that back. You might want to check out that podcast again because Taj went in for 48 minutes and sometimes you can miss stuff. So run that back, listen to it again, take some notes down by hand like Taj recommended, man. Share that episode with somebody else who might be sitting on the couch right now in the dark. Netflixing and chilling to cover up, to hide what they're really, really feeling. A lot of us struggle to figure out what's next. Who am I without ball? It's our primary identity. It's how we see ourselves. It's how others see us. And that's why this platform exists. That's why I love having dope conversations with dope people like Tosh who have been through it. And who have made it to the other side. There is hope. Like maybe this is coming through your beats right now. Maybe you're riding down the highway. And there might be tears rolling down your face. And it is okay. I promise you it is okay. Like there were times in practice where you thought you would die. But you didn't. You made it through those days. And all I, all I want to do is encourage you. I want to remind you of who you are. Not everybody can do what we do. Not everybody can play college ball and, and graduate and balance everything. Like, think about who you are and what you did. And, yeah, your sport might be over and it sucks and I get it. <laughs> but I promise you it's not over. Life has just begun and you have to be intentional about making life your new sport. One more thing before I let you go. I couldn't let you get out of here without grabbing my phone and finding that screenshot of that P. Diddy tweet. I, what is he calling himself these days? I don't know. Sean, P. Diddy, Puff, I'm not sure. Anyway, he posted this tweet a couple of years ago, and it's been in my phone ever since. And I want you to, to take that athlete mindset that Taj talked about and infuse that with this, this Diddy quote and just go kill it. So it says... And I, I, this is like a, a G-rated podcast, so I got to, you know, put it in my own terms. But essentially it says, be a wolf, be a lion, take no crap, set goals, smash them, eat people's faces off, be a better person. I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to push yourself. 
push yourself the way that coach pushed you, man. You have more in you. The world is waiting on you and your gifts. You can do more than just knock down step backs. You can do more than just have three sacks in the game. I promise you have more in you. Now, be sure to check out Taj online and on LinkedIn. I will have all his information in the show notes. While you're online, you can catch me more than likely on Twitter or Instagram at SetsForLife314. Again, that is at SetsForLife314. Check out the website, www.joy, that is J-O-I-Walker.com. Shoot me an email, info at joywalker.com. Fam, you already know. Man, here at Sets for Life, it is my mission. It is my duty to train, equip, and empower you for life after sports. I want to show you how to take that exact same grind you had and apply it to a new arena. I will catch you on the very next episode. Hey, so if you made it to the end of this episode, first of all, thank you for tuning in. For those of you guys who are here for the first time, Welcome. Please like the video if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe to this channel. I have a lot more great interviews coming up. I think you'll really be surprised with some of the guests that I have and some of the stories that they have to share. This is important work. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please just leave a five-star review, subscribe, and share this episode or any other episodes out with someone who needs to hear it. I am on a mission to help as many athletes transition out of their sport and have successful lives after their careers and not just survive, but thrive in everything that they do. And you guys know I do that in a myriad of ways. It's not just the podcast. It's not just the books, but I do offer coaching as well. I want to encourage you guys to go back and look at some of the testimonials of former athletes that I've worked with to help them through their transitions. Guys, don't hesitate to reach out. Visit tajdeshawn.com. That's where you can find all the free resources, not just the podcast and the books, but access to me. You can schedule a free call with me. I'm not going to get on that call and try to sell you on buying a group program. I have a ton of free access and scholarships for athletes to work with me. So utilize those resources, guys. And last but not least, I definitely want to encourage you guys to grab my first book, Thrive After Sports. You can just go on Amazon, type in Taj Deshaun. Uh, I have multiple books on there, but I always try to point people to Thrive After Sports just because I think that's the, the book that I look at as the most impactful that can help an athlete through the transition. I know a lot of people have read that book and been helped through the transition without ever having to speak to me or even listening to my podcast. And I just got this recording today that I wanted to share with you guys from my guy, Benjamin Van Buren. He's a soccer player, former soccer player at Mercy College, uh, went on to play professional soccer and just recently retired. And he read my book while he was playing, but then read it again after he retired. And this is what he had to say about it. I love you guys. I'll see you in the next episode. Peace. And here's Ben. Yo, Taj is Ben from Athlete Mentor. Um, just want to let you know, obviously your book came in and I read it a while ago um, when I was still in season and it didn't really hit me then. I was like, yeah, cool. It's a, it's a great book, whatever. And then I went to Spain and I was playing for a team over there. And then I left because my grandmother was sick. Uh, so I came home and now it's hitting me. So I read it again. Dude. That thing is phenomenal. Like, if you could put this audio on a case study on your website, I would do it because it's crazy how, like, the skills and attributes that student athletes have just go, they just go missing. And it's like, yeah, you're playing sports, you have all this adrenaline, all this, all this hype about you, all you're working out all the time, you feel good, and then out of nowhere, it's like, oh, cool, I'm done. You know, like I know nothing to work for, really. So then you get into sales, you get into other things, and you find something that you want to build for yourself, and that's what you get that that uh, that excitement and that adrenaline from again. So 
Yeah, man, I just want to let you know that I read it again, and it really hit me now that I'm kind of officially retired as a player player. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I wanted to say, man. I hope you're doing well. hope you're living the life. I'm actually on Long Island now. I'm going to go to Stony Brook basketball game, so at your alma mater. But, uh, yeah, dude, uh, phenomenal work, and uh, let's, let's obviously stay in touch and maybe get on a call soon. Talk to you later. Peace.